Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Stand for the reading of God's Word, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. This is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true, but flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, I pray as we come to this passage that you would illumine our minds by your Holy Spirit, that you would give us understanding of your word, that you would give us ears to hear your word preached, and Father, that we would not, not forget these words, but that we would be those who, who understand them, who know them, who study them, and who ultimately practice them. Father, I pray that you would show us your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> There's no, um, there's no use avoiding the bad without pursuing the good. That's my one point in this sermon. There's no point, there's no use avoiding the bad without pursuing the good. Right? To those, um, you know, to do so would be to clean out the one demon and open yourself up for the seven demons to return. As Christians, we don't just oppose evil. We press on toward righteousness. Right? The Apostle Paul speaks um, to this much. I mean, a lot in his letters. He talks about this. In Ephesians and Colossians, we read uh, not simply about putting off, but we read also about putting on. Right? The Apostle Paul has spent much of this, this letter telling telling Pastor Timothy what to oppose, what he should be against. And the apostle, um, you know, in the immediately preceding uh, previous passage that, that uh, I've worked through was much about what Timothy was to be against, what he was to oppose. Oppose in yourself and in others, uh, getting your doctrine from some source outside the word, right? Oppose the conceited and the arrogant, Oppose the draw, the lure of money. Um, the first part of verse 11, the Apostle Paul writes, but flee from these things, flee from these things, run away from these things, you man of God, and pursue this and that. And he goes on to name what we are to pursue. 
It's important that we flee evil, flee from temptation, flee from bad doctrine, flee from, uh, from things that aren't true, from falsehoods, flee from the world. Like Joseph um, flees from Potiphar's wicked wife, right? So we should flee from sin and temptation. We have that calling to flee. In the next letter to Timothy, Paul writes almost the same phrase, but it's a little more specific. He says, now flee from youthful lusts and pursue, and he goes on to list, he goes on to list what, what Timothy is to pursue. Flee from youthful lusts, Paul, Paul writes, what longings, you know, youthful lusts, what longings did you battle with as a young man or a young woman? Longings for relationships, longings for sexual relationships, longing for stuff, longing for Xboxes, longing for um, whatever your friends had and enjoyed, um, longings for money, longings for emotional fulfillment, right? Those youthful lusts were, were a morass of selfishness, right? They should be killed when young so that immaturity does not last until we are 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 years old. How many of us have fled from our youthful lusts? Or are we still stuck in them? My point here is that the first step is to flee that which is evil. That is true. Flee from these things. Flee that which is evil. Flee those youthful lusts. Flee those wants and desires that aren't derived from God's word and aren't derived from the work of the Holy Spirit within you. Right? Uh, how do you flee? How are you supposed to run away from temptations? How are you supposed to run away from sins? Well, you, you don't set your mind on them. You don't think about them constantly. You don't daydream about what you desire in this world. Stop daydreaming. Um, you check yourself. You check yourself in your desires. You examine yourself to see if, if those desires are pleasing to the Lord or pleasing simply to yourself. Um, but that's not enough. If, if we just resist evil, we will eventually be, co- be overcome by evil unless we begin to love what is good and to pursue after what is good. Unless we love the standard that God has given to us. In fact, to love what God loves. right? To love what God loves, what he tells us to pursue in Scripture. So before we get to what the Apostle Paul tells Timothy what to pursue, notice that Timothy is called something. He's called a man of God. Man of God. What a, it's just a quick interjection of encouragement that the Apostle Paul gives to Timothy here. He raises him, Paul raises Timothy into the same league as Moses and Samuel and David and Elijah and Elisha. Right, those men of God. The apostle calls the young man Timothy a man of God. He's a believer. Right? He's a follower of Christ. He's a saint. He's a royal priest serving King Jesus. He's a pursuer of righteousness. Um, and 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 that's that's not just a superfluous point in the midst of this. It's not just an encouragement. Um, one has to be a man of God. One has to be reborn by him, or all he may do in his life is oppose what is bad. That's all he may do. He may just oppose things that are bad, but have no clue about what it means to pursue what is good. 
um, he may not break the law. He may not eat what is bad for his body. He may not um, hurt other people. He may hone what he determines is evil in this world. But he will never pursue what is right according to his creator. That he will not do. To be solely an opposer of evil is not to know God. Um, One who is born of God wants to see God. Wants to be like uh, Moses when he was hidden in the cleft of the rock. Right? Wants to see his glory. One who is born of God wants to be like his Father in heaven. Right? We can be moralists all day long, all through our lives, opposing what we consider to be evil, and still be condemned to hell. The loveliness of Jesus Christ, the loveliness of his righteousness, has to be the object of our strongest passions, our strongest affections. We... We shouldn't, we mustn't be like the church in Ephesus. As she's described by Jesus Christ in, in uh, Revelation, remember this is, that's the church in Ephesus, that's where Timothy is now ministering. Right? He's, um, uh, Paul said, remain on at Ephesus while I go on and, and work elsewhere. And then this letter to Ephesus by Jesus um, In Revelation, he says, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance. That seems like really good things. Deeds, toil, perseverance. And that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false. This is all all praise, right? It's, It's really good stuff. And you have perseverance and have endured for my namesake and have not grown weary. But this I have against you, that you have left your first love. Right? So they've opposed everything that needs to be opposed, but they've left behind their first love. They've left behind Jesus Christ. They know what to resist, but they do not know what to pursue. Right? Only the man of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, will pursue what is, what is laid out for him in Scripture. A natural man can be zealous to oppose what he thinks is evil. Our media today is perfect evidence of this. They know what to oppose. They have no idea what is right. Right? But there's an opposite error in the church today, too. Those who will only tell you what they are for and will never appear to be against anything. Right? They are for safe spaces. And they are for grace. And they are for the love and forgiveness of God and never opposed to great evils. They preach grace, they forget that millions of babies are being killed in wombs every year. Right? They preach about attraction and desires and never oppose sinful desires. They preach about Jesus and never mention hell. Um, that too is an error. Right? There are errors on, on both sides of the tracks here. These ones forget that we must flee from sin and then pursue righteousness. But there is this air of only being defined by what we oppose and not by the, the fullness of righteousness, the fullness of faith, the fullness of really living in the kingdom of God. Here's an example. It's, a clear, it's clear to me that there are many ab- abortion abolitionists out there who have reduced the Christian faith down to being opposed to abortion. That is the one thing that they say the gospel is, and that is the fullness of the gospel for them. They're right to be opposed to the great evil. Um, we are too. We're opposed to that evil. 
But they are in danger of solely being defined by what they oppose. They're in danger of, of truncating the gospel. And that is only to flee what is evil and not to pursue righteousness. It's not to pursue what is good. Um, the danger there, and we all face this, is that we eventually need the same rebuke Jesus gave to the church in Ephesus. You've done well in what you've opposed, but you've forgotten to love me. We can oppose the right things and cease loving God. And that's a very real possibility. It's a, very, it's a danger for all of us. What the church is about, in addition to being opposed to societal evils and loving our neighbors, is all that is written in his word, every single bit of it, right? We must not simply be faithful in one thing. I mean, to be faithful in one thing and opposing abortion is, is minuscule. That is not to have your righteousness surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees, right? That just leads to spiritual pride. To be, to be honed in one area leads to spiritual pride. But we are called to be faithful in all things, faithful in all things, which dashes everybody's pride, right? This undoubtedly takes those who know God who have been given eyes to see and ears to hear, who wake up in the morning and rejoice that their names are written in the book of life, right? who have found the pearl of great price, who long to, to worship Jesus Christ. Now, what does the Apostle Paul then tell us to pursue? What, what do we run toward? We oppose what is evil. We oppose what is evil in ourselves. And, and we're, we're, to, we're to run towards something. What do we pursue? Um, there are quite a few things here, but let's take them in order, and we won't get through all of them today. But the first thing is to pursue righteousness. Pursue righteousness. What's righteousness? Right? It's a word we all come across, and yet we, we don't stop and think to define it. When we read of the righteousness of a man, what does that mean? Um, like here, he's talking, about, like, he's talking about Timothy as a man pursuing righteousness. Um, I think it's to live in such a way to have such conduct that it's in accord with God's will, that it's pleasing to him, to live in a way that's pleasing to God. That's righteousness, right living as defined by God, um, right living as written in the word, striving to be those who have no other gods, right, and worship the one true living God who don't steal and, and therefore are positively content, content with what God has provided, who don't covet and desire what is profitable for their souls, who honor their fathers and their mothers, right? I'm going through the law here. I'm going through the commandments, and I'm saying the pursuit of those is the pursuit of righteousness. Now, is it, is it scandalous for me to mention that? Is this not legalism to pursue righteousness? this legalism to pursue righteousness? No, it's merely what God's word requires of us. It's what God's word requires of us. Yes, it's impossible without the first work of the Holy Spirit, right? But it, it is what we are to pursue as Christians who are born again. We desire to walk in a manner pleasing to the Lord. This is another way of saying faith without works is dead. Our faith works, Right? Our bondage to sin has, I mean, we've been freed from our bondage to sin, have we? We've been freed from our bondage to sin, and we're free now to do what? To pursue righteousness. Do you believe that? 
Do you believe that you're actually free to pursue righteousness, that you can go after it and claim it? Right? Or, or do you merely think that you are still in bondage to sin? Perhaps you are, if that's what you see only. Right? Begin to consider yourselves, Paul says, as dead to sin and alive to righteousness. Begin to consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to righteousness. And in considering yourself dead to sin, pursue that righteousness. So we're to pursue that, that, that faithfulness in living, in obeying God's commandments. That is, after all, to love God, isn't it? That's what Second John taught us. And then secondly, he says, pursue godliness. Pursue God. How is godliness different than righteousness? Isn't the pursuit of, of godliness the same thing as the pursuit of righteousness? Um, Hendrickson takes righteousness a bit differently than I did. He says that righteousness is a state of mind and heart that is in harmony with God's law, which leads to godliness or godly living. So he, in other words, he's saying righteousness is an inward sort of state of, of love for God, and then godliness is the outworking of that into holy living. Um, you know, there's something to that. Perhaps we could say that righteousness is the inward and secondarily the outward, um, while godliness is the outward and only secondarily inward. Um, the trouble in removing the outward from the inward is that you can't have one without the other. You don't have inward without outward, right? Faith produces. It, it, the inward always produces the outward. So faith without works is nothing being dead. So I think there's significant overlap between the pursuit of righteousness and the pursuit of godliness and um, perhaps a bit of difference in the perspective of each. Regardless, godliness is piety, right? It is to live rightly before God. So he's telling him, pursue righteousness, pursue godliness, pursue this life in accord with God's commands. Are you pursuing life in that manner? Right? Remember that he just said, don't pursue money. Don't pursue money. Pursue these things instead. Now think of the time you spend pursuing stuff and think of the time you spend pursuing godliness. And maybe there's a disproportion. Third, he says, pursue faith. What is, what is faith? Very simply, I'll define it this way. Faith is trust in God. That's what faith is. It's trust in God. I think that's how the Apostle Paul is using faith here. And in many of the other places where he has long lists of, of characteristics that Christians should demonstrate, um, it could be rendered faithfulness um, or trust. What does it mean to pursue trusting God? What does that mean? I mean, these are very simple things, but we don't stop to think about what it means to trust God. You know, it, isn't that just something we should feel, right? That should just happen, you know, like, you know, I, I trust God. You know, I feel it. I'm feeling that. No. How then would, if it's feelings that come upon us um, randomly, how then do we pursue trusting God? Um, look at Hebrews chapter 11. How did Abraham do it? How did Moses do it? How did they pursue trusting God? They came to God believing that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Think of that. They came to him 
right? Thinking that he is, first of all, that he, he is there, he exists, he, he's present. But then also that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Do you think there's reward in following after Jesus Christ and seeking God by faith? Is there reward? Do you seek that reward? Do you come to God with faith? Without faith, you expect not reward. You expect not to be rewarded by God. But if you come to God in faith, you expect that there would be a reward. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed, going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Right? He went, but he didn't just go like without a thought in his head. He went out expecting that God would reward him, right? He knew who, that God was and that he was a rewarder, so he went. He, he understood that there's no loss for me in this, right? He went out by faith. He trusted God. He lived at his word, right? By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, right? He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I mean, how many of us in his position would be able to do that, right? In the court, eating good food, getting a good education, well-connected, rich, comfortable. And and he was like, he refused to be called Pharaoh's, um, the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ The reproach of Christ. Greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. He'd rather be dogged for being a Christian than enjoy all the riches of Egypt. Did Egypt have, you know, were they wealthy? Did they have any gold sitting around? Did they have any any, um, influence in the world at that time? During Moses' time? Yeah, they were the power of the world, right? But, but by faith, Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. That's what faith is. Looking to the reward that God can give you. Do you trust him to reward you if you follow him? Do you trust that? Or do you think, are you like the, um, the man who hid his talent? You know, God... I knew you to be a, a harsh and exacting man. Is that how you approach God? Expecting not, not reward, but, but chastisement continually. Moses wanted that reward, so he did what no natural man could do. He denied his own pleasures. He denied the riches of the world. He trusted what God offered him was much better than what this world offered him. That is faith. That's faith. Are you pursuing faith? Are you pursuing to know God in that manner and all the promises that he has given to you as his child? If not, your faith will lag. Fourth, pursue love. So righteousness, godliness, faith, now love. Um, Without love, faith is nothing, right? Without love, faith is nothing. And at least that's what the Apostle Paul says elsewhere. He writes this too. If I speak with the tongues of men and and of angels, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, right, this 
this uh, amazing uh, language of angels, right? Um, if I have the, the revelation pour forth from my mouth, but do not have love, I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Nothing. Those things are amazing things. Those are the things that we make movies about people for, right? The martyrdoms and the, and the, 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 the knowledge and the, the prophecies fulfilled and, and all these things. And, and faith so as to remove mountains, right? If you, if you say to this mountain, be cast into the sea. But if we don't combine that with love, it profits us nothing. It is nothing. It's important to remember that Scripture calls us to love God and love our neighbors, right? That's the love we're supposed to have, love toward God, love toward neighbors. Jesus said, and he's, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets, so all of the law and the prophets, all of the message can be summarized in those two commandments. Love God, love your neighbor. Do you pursue love? Do you pursue love in those ways that God has laid out there? Those two things, pursuing God, pursuing your neighbor. Um, that's the summary of all God's commands. Love him, love your neighbor. And, and does this just mean have affection for them? To have warm fuzzies, to have vibes, to have a natural attraction to people and to God. No, love has affection, but it's not only affection. It means to lay one's life down for others. Right? It means to serve God in this world as a witness to his love. It, it is, it's action. It's action as well as feeling. Fifth, pursue perseverance. Now that doesn't seem like this is something we pursue, does it? Pursue perseverance. Um, isn't that just given to us? Is that not just something that we're, we're given? To pursue perseverance is, is this. It is to pursue all the means that God has given us to sustain and grow us in our faith. That's what the pursuit of perseverance is. All the means that God has said, follow me. All the means that he has said to grow our faith. Remember what the Apostle Paul said to Timothy and um, previously in this letter, he wrote, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. So uh, pay attention to yourself, pay attention to your teaching, persevere in these things, because it's going to lead to something. It's going to lead to assurance of your salvation. As we persevere in self-examination and in the teaching of God's word, we persevere in our faith, which then ensures our salvation. Um, how could we expect to persevere by different means than God has laid out for us? 
Uh, We pursue holiness through paying attention to ourselves, who we are, how we behave, how we repent, and and we pursue the teaching of the word. Who is God? Who is Jesus? Who is the Holy Spirit? What have they done for us? What have they promised? What do they require of us? Um, So self-examination by means of the study of God's word, or the study of God's word leading to self-examination, is to pursue perseverance. Uh, He's given, additionally, right, he's given us a church in which we pursue our perseverance. Um, It is there in the church where we receive the word preached, the sacraments, discipline, discipleship, fellowship, opportunities to use gifts, where we're challenged uh, to, um, to, to live by faith, right? Outside of the church, there's none of that. There's ordinarily no possibility even of salvation, let alone perseverance, right? Um, don't expect to persevere when you dispense with the means that God has laid out for you to persevere. Leave behind the church. You won't persevere. You've left behind the main means that God has given you to pursue him. The bride of Christ is precious to Jesus. He, in fact, died for the bride of Christ. And we think we can dispense with with her. Sixth, pursue gentleness. Gentleness. We weren't expecting that to show up in this list, were we? Um, Yet gentleness or meekness is often commended in Scripture. It is a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, The spiritual are to restore those who are in sin with a spirit of gentleness. Paul writes this to the Colossians. He says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Um, We're to correct with gentleness those who are in opposition, lest perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. James writes, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. The gentleness of wisdom. In Philippians, uh, Paul writes, Let your gentle spirit be known to all. The Lord is near. Your gentle spirit. And of course, Jesus was gentle, wasn't he? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. He taught us, blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the kingdom of earth. They shall inherit the earth. Um, And yet it seems to us that it's only the forceful and the harsh that take ground in this world, right? Um, But the promise of God is that the gentle will ultimately inherit the earth. Every bit of the earth will be reserved for the gentle, the humble, the gentle in heart. But what, what is it that's so difficult about gentleness? Um, gentleness requires great self-control, doesn't it? Gentleness requires great self-control. We can be harsh with our hands. We can be harsh with our minds. We can be harsh with our words. We can be harsh with our looks. And without self-control, our harshness will spill from us like, like milk from an overturned glass. Right? It just bursts out of us, those bursts of anger. Study the times when Jesus was gentle with others. 
He was harsh to the Pharisees and to to, uh, the religious leaders and the temple perverters, right? He was gentle to sinners. He was gentle to sinners who were poor in spirit. He was gentle to the sick. He was gentle to those who desired the forgiveness of their sins. He was gentle in the face of the persecution that came to him, but he knew that he had to die. He had to obey his father's commands to die for sinners. So Jesus showed gentleness to sheep, and he showed great harshness to wolves. So often we get that turned around. We show harshness to those who know they've sinned and gentleness to wolves in the church who are, who, uh, who are claiming to perfect the gospel. We get offended that Paul would tell the Judaizers right, in the Galatian church to mutilate themselves. I wish they would just cut it all off. We get offended at that or offended that Jesus would be gentle to prostitutes. Why would Jesus be gentle to prostitutes and tax collectors? There's a time for gentleness and a time for harshness. Figuring out which is appropriate can be tricky, but I guarantee you that your harshness breaks out often when God would have you gentle, right? When God would have you forgiving, when God would have you patient. And so learning when to be gentle is one of the keys. It's one of the keys to godly fatherhood and godly motherhood, right? When to be gentle and when to be harsh. Um, would that I would learn that before my children leave our house. <laughs> well, I'm going to stop there. Though the Apostle Paul goes on to mention other pursuits. One final thought. The Christian life is not one of, of passive emotion, but one of active pursuit. It is not vibes. It is active pursuit. You must work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Right? If we don't pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness, then we are likely grieving the Spirit and distancing ourselves from God, um, backsliding. Scripture says this, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Are you drawing near to God? Are you pursuing Him by the means He has given you? Or do you languish? <coughs> right? Do you languish wishing God would would part the clouds and and stand in your presence and argue his goodness to your face, right? You need a face-to-face conversation with God and and that you expect before you make any effort with the means he's placed all around you already, right? You want that face-to-face before you deal with all the things he's given you in order to pursue him. But, but you won't be given that face-to-face. You're not going to be given that sign. Pursue God, brothers and sisters. Get to work pursuing him, and you will find that he then draws near to you.